Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning, Movement Church. Man, you guys look great. You sound great. I can hear most of you singing. Most of you have great voices. Some of you don't, but that's okay. That's why we play the music loud. So we're glad you're here. Can you do me a favor? Would you give it up for our amazing worship team? Man, they crushed it. Always bringing their A game and just killing the game. So we're grateful for them. And I, I got to tell you, I'm pretty stoked about what, what God's up to right now and, and really excited about the future and what it has to offer. We are literally just a few weeks away from celebrating our seventh anniversary as a church. Come on, Movement Church. Help me in being excited about that. September 15th is our official anniversary. We've got some amazing festivities planned for after every service, but we're also launching three services on September 15th. Come on. And here are the official service times. You've been asking. We listened to you, and we polled the audience. So our three services starting on the 15th. And remember, we're going to experiment. And if we find we need to make some adjustments after a few months, we'll make some adjustments. Don't stress it. But our three services are 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. So you have three to choose from. Super exciting. One of you is excited. I'm very excited. 8.30, 10, and 11.30. You don't want to miss it. We're going to condense the service is a little bit as far as time is concerned so that we can make sure we pack everybody in and make more space for the one who's far from God, who's not in this room yet. And so we're so excited about what that looks like. But I want to just tell you, in leading up to this, we always leverage our anniversary as an opportunity to create an experience where people who've not been here can come and attend. And I want to challenge you to partner with us. In fact, as you leave today, you're going to get a packet that looks just like this. And it says seven on the front. Everybody say seven because we're celebrating our seventh anniversary. And it's got a little information uh, packet right on the front. And then in the back, it's got a few invitations for you. And here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you between now and the 15th of September to be inviting as many people as you can to church. Specifically, I want to challenge you to invite seven people. I know it sounds so crazy. Seven people. But here's what we're going to ask. The seven days leading up to our anniversary, we're going to have early morning prayer. Every day at 6 a.m., I would love for you to join us. We're praying that God's going to be bringing a harvest of people who are not yet in this room, that are desperate to know the hope of who Jesus is. Then I'm going to ask you to do, give out seven invitations leading up to our anniversary, and we're believing for and praying for seven opportunities or chances for life change. And here's kind of the premise behind it. Studies have shown that it takes about seven experiences or exchanges before somebody who doesn't currently go to church for them to actually attend church. And that could be something like a crisis happening in their world and they are now kind of geared towards God and thinking, man, God, would you help me out? in this scenario, or maybe they're at work and somebody talks about a church service that they went to. That's a second type of exchange. And then maybe they, they drive by a church or an A-frame sign on, on Alicia Drive. And they think, man, maybe I should go check out that church. It takes seven exchanges before somebody who doesn't attend church will actually walk through the doors of a church. And here's my challenge to you. Why don't you be the seventh? You be the seventh encounter with people in your world. I'm not asking you to talk to strangers. I'm talking about the people in your world, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people in the parent pickup line, the students sitting next to you at Saddleback College, the students sitting next to you in your high school or your junior high. 
And I want to putting invitations in your hand, and I want to challenge you, be the seventh. Be the seventh exchange interaction for the people that God placed you in their world who are desperate to know the hope of who Jesus is. We live in a county where only 10% of people attend church. Holy cow. And God created the solution, and it's you. So today, on your way out, grab this packet, and then what we're going to do is just pray that every invitation, every encounter, that God would utilize that. And I believe that on the 15th and moving forward, we're gonna see God do something so crazy here that it'll be just the beginning. I believe this is what it feels like to change the world. Can we do that? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to text the word, I'm sorry, text the number seven to the number on our screen for more information. Everybody get your cell phones out. Text the number seven to the number on the screen for more information. On your way, grab a packet and invite your friends. Can you do that? Everybody say seven. Say it like you mean it. Say seven. Say, I'm in. Awesome. We are so excited. And we're going to dive now into week six, our final chapter in our series on grown-up faith. I don't know about you, but man, I've absolutely loved this entire series where I feel like God's challenging me in my faith because this whole series is about answering the big questions of life so that we can build a solid foundation of faith. That's God's heart for us, is that we would grow up in our faith. If you're here and you're not sure what it is that you believe, Permission to belong before you believe. But if you're here and you're a Christ follower, then God's heart would be that we grow up in our faith. Not that we arrive at perfection, but that we're constantly working to allow God to do something new and different in our life. In fact, Paul, a writer in the New Testament, said in Ephesians chapter 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In verse 15, he says, but rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's God's heart for us. In fact, that's his design. And this whole series is really built around 10 big questions that all of humanity is asking. And listen, here's the thing. We're asking the questions, but we're also getting our answers. It's just a matter of where we get our answers from. And this series is about getting answers from the truth of God's word. I'm not going to go back through all the questions, but the first and the last questions are the biggest that all of humanity are asking. Number one is this, is life an accident or am I here on purpose? And how you answer that question literally defines your worldview. How you answer the question of am I here on purpose or am I an accident defines how you live life, whether you realize it or not. And in week one, we unpacked and talked about how you were created by God in his image to accomplish a great work. And knowing that is the greatest foundation you can have. And it leads all the way to question number 10, which is what we're going to talk about today. Are heaven and hell real? And I believe that too many Christians have become too casual with the concept and the notion of hell. And we're going to take a few moments today to unpack that because I believe if we can open our eyes to it, God will do something extraordinary in us and more importantly, do something extraordinary through us. And that's the hope. Listen, I'm telling you right now, no matter where you are on the faith journey, look at me for one minute. You, you want to be in the middle of God's will being used by God. There's no greater place to be. To know that right now, I'm not perfect, but I'm living my life for him, and he's doing things through me. So let's unpack this today. Can I pray for us? And we'll dive in. God, we just thank you that you're here.
We thank you that you're up to something big beyond what we could see or imagine. And God, I just pray that today you'd help us to lean into the fullness of what it is you want to say and do and speak to us so that, God, we can be in the middle of your will, living a life where you're doing things through us. So we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, which just means I agree. That's right. Hey, listen, I thought to start this heavy topic off today, uh, as we talk about hell, isn't that exciting? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? As we talk about hell, I thought I'd do like a typical preacher thing and start off with a joke. Is that okay? Uh, somebody said earlier, I'm harnessing my Joel Osteen. So just going to start off, God loves you. Okay, let me start off. That's not the joke. Let me, <laughs> let me start. He, I love Joel Osteen. He's an amazing guy. Okay, here's my joke for you today, and we'll dive in. So there's a, a woman named Lisa, and she, she struggled with a terminal illness for years, and then finally passed away and, and got to the pearly gates of heaven. And, and, and God was standing there and, and he said, oh, Lisa, it's so good to see you made it. And she said, I'm so excited to be here. How do I get in? And, and he said, all you have to do is spell one word. And she said, okay, what is it? He said, love. She said, great. So she spelled L-O-V-E. He said, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. And, and he brought her in and, and he was like, I'm so excited you're here. Well, years passed. And God shows up and talks to Lisa and says, hey, I'm going on a vacation to Orange County. That's where he vacations. I'm going to go hang out in Orange County. Can you do me a favor? Can you man the pearly gates for me? You're, you're in charge. And she said, absolutely. So she's standing at the gates of heaven. And, and a little while later, again, this is years after she's been in heaven, her husband shows up at the gates. And she's like, oh, babe, I'm so glad to see you. And, and, and he was like, oh, it's so good to see you too. And she said, how has life been? And he goes, well, after you died, I, I married the nurse who took care of you. And then I, I won the lottery and we sold our tiny home and I bought a mansion. In the last five years, we've just been traveling Europe together. It's been amazing. He said, how do I get in? She goes, oh, well, good news. You only have to spell one word. He said, what word? She said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got for you. That's all I got for you. The question we're unpacking today is our heaven and hell real? And, and according to Jesus, the answer is simple, yes. In fact, almost the majority of Jesus' teaching were in regards to heaven and hell and its impact on our life. Now, the Bible unpacks for us that both heaven and hell are what would be referred to as eternal dwellings. That's where we say all the time, dwelling. In other words, a place where we will be for an eternity, okay? There will be a time at the end of our life where we will be either in heaven or in hell forever, right? So you probably know this. You have a physical body and you have a soul. So there will come a day for you where your body will die, but your soul will live forever, okay? Your soul will live forever, right? In one of those two places. Now look at me for a moment. If you've been restored to God through the work of Jesus, we've talked about that this whole series. If you remember, we unpacked the tabernacle and Jesus' role and how he walked the path of the tabernacle. So if you have been restored to God through the work of Jesus, then that means that he has covered your sin debt. In other words, we've talked about this, the payment of sin is death. And Jesus went to the cross and he took on the penalty of all of humanity's sin, 
right? So he became our substitute. So if I've been reunited with who God is through the work of Jesus, then I will spend an eternity in heaven because of Jesus. So right now, I live on earth building a relationship with him so that I can help people connect to him. Are y'all tracking with me today? So heaven will be awesome and beyond your imagination. Most of us have a picture of heaven based upon a movie or a television show that you've seen, and I can just tell you Hollywood won't do it justice. Now, I've never been there, but there are portions of scripture that unpack it, and here's what I can tell you for sure, that it will be beyond the greatest imagination. It will be an eternity spent in the presence of the true and living king. Heaven will be absolutely awesome. It is a real place. Well, hell, my friends, also is real, and it is the exact opposite of heaven. Now, there are descriptions in, in the scripture that talk about it being a place of complete darkness with the gnashing of teeth, and in other words, this torturous environment. Now, listen, Satan doesn't rule hell. He was sent to hell. Some people think that, and so they think, when we get to hell, we're going to party. No, my friends, this is not a good place to be. Are you tracking me? Don't you just love the topic of hell in church this morning? You're like, man, I'm glad I brought my friend. This is great. (laughs) So listen, if I dismiss Jesus or deny Jesus and I walk my own path, then an eternity in hell separated from God is my future reality. Now, we don't like to talk about this. PC, Pastor Kerry, can we talk about grace and hope and, and how, to, how to have a better marriage and how to raise great kids and how to be an awesome employee or employer? Can, can we not talk about hell? I mean, didn't Jesus, didn't he give his life for us in this kind of tragic romance that is just purely beautiful? I mean, haven't you read, Pastor Kerry, John 3, 16? Well, I actually have. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Oh, it's tragically beautiful. Jesus gave everything. It, It is a beautiful romance. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is beautiful. Can we talk about those things? Well, sure we can, but we can't dismiss the very real reality of hell. You see, Jesus did come. And he did come that we might find life, but we need to read on to verse 18 that says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's a very weighty topic. It's challenging to navigate through. You see, God didn't send Jesus to condemn us, but we can condemn ourselves. We, we choose, and people do it every single day. I love how Megan said last week, God doesn't want you to go to hell. You, you choose, but you're going to have to crawl over Jesus to get there. And so when it comes to the idea and the notion of who Jesus is and the message that he is preaching, he, he didn't come here to sell cookies to us. He didn't come here just to give us a little quick fix to make us feel good. He's presenting the cure. He's presenting the cure 
for covering all of humanity's sin. And I just thought because we're talking about this topic of hell, everyone needed some cookies today. So I've asked our ushers to go ahead and pass platters of some Oreo double stuff. Come on, somebody. How many of you want some Oreos? This is our last service, so take as many as you want. And listen, this isn't single stuff. This is double stuff. Can I get an amen from some people who know? Now, just real quickly, be honest. A show of hands. How many of you, with no judgment, no shame, how many of you could literally sit down and dominate an entire pack by yourself. Thank you. You are my people. Let's start a connect group. Let's do it. Just an Oreo double stuff. We, we'll just all eat one pack. And No, we shouldn't do that. I just wanted you to have some cookies. Listen, listen, listen. I, I, I want to just tell you, Jesus didn't come here to just deliver some simple message. He came to bring the cure. If you found out that you had cancer, which we have a couple people in our church who are in that fight right now for their life. And if you find out from the doctor that you have a terminal cancer, you're not searching for a cookie, a quick fix, an endorphin trip to try to make you feel good for a moment. You know what you're looking for? The cure. And you're going to every great length you can possibly. You're eating holistically and you're, you are getting rid of anything that's not organic and you're visiting every doctor and finding every possible remedy. Why? Because if you don't, you'll face certain death. Well, listen, Jesus didn't come to bring a cure for our imperfections. He didn't come to say you have to now be perfect, but he brought a solution for the penalty of all of humanity's sin. This is the very message of the gospel. And let me just tell you right now, this is why the church, how many of you enjoying your Oreos right now? Yeah, okay, I'm jealous because I haven't even had one yet. This is why the church exists. We, we are part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. That was a mouthful. Last week I had a, a lady in our church say, I only gave you three of those, turn to my neighbor, and then I'm done. So I'm going to try to hit four today, and we'll just see if she's rebellious or not. So listen, you're part of something bigger than yourselves, and we all love being a part of something big, right? And not, a couple nights ago, my wife and I were driving into San Clemente, and there's this restaurant on the right side that had 35 people standing in line to get in. I was like, man, what are, what are they cooking? I want some. Because there's, a part, there's some excitement around this. And the disciples who followed Jesus, they were saying the same thing. They left everything to follow Jesus. Peter and James and John, they had built this beautiful fishing career and were making bank. And they dropped it to follow Jesus. Matthew had started his own branch of the IRS and was just collecting taxes, making bank. Luke had his own family practice of medicine and was making some coin. And they dropped it to follow Jesus. So they're going, hey, bro, I mean, where are we going with this whole Messiah thing? We, we, we didn't drop everything so that we aren't a part of something big. And then Jesus begins to unpack for them that what you think is big may not actually be a big deal. And in Matthew 16, he, he begins to talk about the big deal of the kingdom of God. And he asks them this question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? I mean, the things that you and I consider big and significant and important, the things that so many of us are currently living our life for may really have very little significance when it comes to eternity. You may have heard of Cornelius Vanderbilt. You probably didn't know his first name until now considered one of the wealthiest men in America and maybe even in the history of humanity. He had an estimated worth of $205 billion. 
Just to give you an idea, Bezos, or however you say his last name, the guy who owns Amazon, is the richest man in the world, estimated to have a net worth of $153 billion. B- B- Vanderbilt had him beat by $50 billion. Everybody say billion. That's a lot of stinking money. And yet, his family, his kids, didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to handle this fortune, and they spent heavily. And by 1973, literally less than 100 years after his life ended, there's a family reunion, and not one of the 120 Vanderbilt descendants present was actually a millionaire. So this great wealth, this great accomplishment, gone. Success, money, accomplishments, they feel great for a moment, but eventually they fade, but your soul will last forever. Your soul will last forever. Now, the Bible talks about the things that are to come, and we've talked about that in this series, about how there's an Old Testament and a New Testament in the Bible, two parts of the Bible that are written in two halves, but they're mirror images of each other. There are five major events in the Old Testament and five major events in the New Testament, and they turn or pivot on the person of Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament builds from Jesus. And when we begin the New Testament, Jesus established the new covenant, the church. That's you and me, but there's still four major events to come that have not happened yet. Now, according to the word of God, these are prophetic ideas of what will happen in the future. And the next major event is a one world government. I don't know when it will happen. I'm not God. But after that, the Bible says the world will be judged and destroyed. Listen, Revelation says that whether you pass in the next few years or you end up at judgment day, all of us will face judgment. That's not an Arnold Schwarzenegger idea. (laughs) Judgment day is a, it's not a Mayan calendar idea. It's a God idea. Right? We don't like to talk about this, do we? There's a judgment day coming. So whether we're alive when that day happens or you pass away in the next few years, there will come a day where you will stand before Jesus and you will give an account of your life. He'll scroll through the the Netflix channels of your life. I don't know how it'll work. Listen, the Bible says, this is terrifying. You'll give account for every thought and every word you've ever spoken. Does that not terrify you? And he'll look through the chapters of your life. He'll scroll through the seasons. And at the end of looking through your life, do you know what he'll do? He'll open up a book that the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life. And he'll scroll through to find R-O-R-O-B-I-N-R-O-B-I-N-S. Carrie, your, your name's in here. It says here that on October 6, 1986... You surrendered your life to Jesus. Come on in. Good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter how many times I attended church. It doesn't matter how jacked up I am. Did I surrender my life to Jesus? We don't like to talk about this, but it's a reality. We read about this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Peter writes this, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Look at this, verse four. They will say, where is the coming he promised of? In other words, Jesus said he's coming back. Where is it? 
Ever since our ancestors died, everything has gone on since the beginning of creation. In other words, it's right here been the same thing. Where is this Jesus? But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Verse 6, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. He's talking about the flood from Noah's days. Look at verse 7. But the same word. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Really encouraging verse to read on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Listen, this, this is a reality in our future. I don't know how far into the future, but it's a reality. But here's what I love about the New Testament. And here's what I love about who Jesus is. Look at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, which means since 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, which is really just two days to him, the Lord is not slow, look at this, in keeping his promises. Some of you need to write this down, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. So no matter how you feel, no matter how challenging, no matter how discouraging the notion of this might be, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some would understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Verse 10, but sometimes you just need to read the scripture and let it soak in. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The Bible is saying that the end is coming, whether you're around for judgment day or you pass away because your body dies. But I love how it comes back and reiterates that God is patient toward you. He's patient towards me. It is not God's heart that anyone would go to hell. His heart is that all would go to heaven. We can choose heaven or hell. We choose Satan over God, God over Satan. We choose Lies over truth, we choose. I love how Kevin Myers says in the book Grown Up Faith, he says that day, judgment day, whether whenever you stand before that, it will either be the best day or the worst day. Revelation 21, 1 says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I skip down to verse three, look at this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's God's heart for you. Look at me right here in the eyes. God's heart is to be with you. That's his heart. That's his heart for humanity, to be with you. He sent Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with me. But we choose. We don't have to. He goes on to explain what eternity with him is like in verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. You and I are headed at life speed towards eternity. And when you stand there, there is one differentiating factor for what your eternity will look like. Is your name written in the book of life? Not based upon your actions, your attitude, your good vibes, what church you attend, although it does help to be at the movement church. (laughs) Did you say, Jesus, I give you my life? And if not, It's an eternity in hell, separated from God. There's no get out of jail free card. 
There's no call up, chuck up a Hail Mary, God help me out. It's the end. And I think we, we lose sight of this sometimes and we downplay it. So then the question is, if we're headed towards eternity and there are two options, then how ought we live? How should we live life? And I believe as we've been exploring this series and reading this book and leaning into the scripture, I believe that we should live holy, which means to walk with God and run from sin. Not live perfect. Look at me. Just, live, just say, God, I want what you want for me. If, if you want it for me, I want it for me. I'm running from that old self like we talked about last week. And then I think we should live for others. Which that means to serve people and help them get to heaven. You, you were created to be on a rescue mission. And people say all the time, man, this country is going to hell and him. I'm just praying Jesus returns soon. And you know why he hasn't? Because he has compassion for us. It's his hope and his heart that all would come to repentance. God is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Look at this, but instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come. To it, repentance, to say yes to who he is. You see, I, I feel that Christians minimize hell in our minds because the weight and the severity of hell places a responsibility on me to do something. We, we, we look at it as, oh, my name's in the book. I'm good. My, secure, my, eternal, my eternity is secure. And we just kind of move on forgetting that in the county you live in, 2.7 million people are probably headed to hell. And the crazy thing is that, that Jesus knew this would be a problem. In fact, in his time, he was walking amongst the people in the area where he lived. And in Matthew 9, we see this picture unfold. In verse 36, it says that Jesus saw the crowds. He saw Orange County, Lake Forest, and San Clemente, and Aliso Viejo, and Santa Ana, and Costa Mesa, and RSM, Laguna Beach. Laguna Niguel, and he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, the answer for humanity, realized that people were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful. The number of people who are headed to hell is huge, but the workers are few. And then he said, hey, you need to ask God, pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. Guess what? You're the answer to that prayer. You are the answer to that prayer. You are a part of the big deal. God called you to be light into darkness. You were created to be a rescuer. You're on a mission to save lives. If your name is written in the book of life, there's a mandate on your life to help people who might be headed towards an eternity in hell discover an eternity in heaven. So how do we do that? Well, I love how Kevin Myers maps it out in the book. I think the step one is to invest, that we're investing in the lives of the people in our world who may be far from God, who aren't plugged into a church. Invest intentionally, that I invest into the lives of the people in my world. I, I can't treat them poorly and then try to point them to God. I gotta be light and darkness. 
So you got to ask yourself, are you, are, are you currently, do you have spheres of influence that, that may be living and walking in darkness, but you are being the light? I'm not asking if you're darkness in darkness, but you're being the light. And then there's an onus on you. Listen, this is not for your neighbor. This is not for the husband that you dragged to church with you. I'm talking to you right now. You have a mandate on your life. If your name is in the book of life, then you have a responsibility to invest in the lives of the people around you. And then you've got to share. You've got to share what God's doing inside of you. So you tell those people, hey, you matter to God. There's a purpose and a destiny for you. Well, Pastor Kerry, I don't know how. I don't have the verses memorized. Yes, you do. You don't have to have every verse memorized. You know how to share. Just talk about who you were before Christ. And if you're like me, it's been a long time. Talk about who you'd be without Christ. And if you don't know what that's like, ask your spouse. They'll help you. And then talk about where you're, where you're at because of Christ. What, what God's doing in my life. And, and then talk about where you're going. Share an encouraging word. There's so much negativity in our world today. Be some positivity. Put courage in, not fear. Like, listen, the, the most valuable tool that you have in your, in your arsenal is your story. Holy cow, you can reach people like I can't. There are people in our world that I could never reach like you can if you just be light. Man, I don't have it all figured out, but I know I'm even more of a wreck without Jesus. People are desperate for that. In fact, the very, the very one who spoke light into existence, the one who separated the land from the seas, the one who breathed and created the detailed intricacies of your body in the same fashion, literally wove step by step to place you in the lives of people who desperately need you. They need you. That's why we create leverage points around our anniversary and, and, and reminders that, hey, invite somebody to church. It's not, be the seventh. Don't just hand them a piece of paper, but pray for them. God, God did that on purpose. And he's trying to do that in you and in me. And then we pray for them because that's the thing. We, we can't make people choose Jesus. God doesn't even do that. They have to land at a place where they say, God matters to me. That's why we're going to three services is to create more, create more opportunities for people to show up. We are on a rescue mission as a church. We are not here to be a country club for Christians to just settle into their little cushiony seat and feel really good about their faith because they're set because their name's in the book of life while 2.7 million people are headed towards an eternity in hell. We're on a rescue mission. And when I say we, I don't mean just me. Yeah. I mean you too. Yeah. I mean, how cool is it that God wove our lives together and you just thought you accidentally came here because a friend brought you. No. It was a part of his plan. How many of you would just be honest for a moment and just say, you know what, I've got some work to do in being light and darkness. Would you raise your hand? Man, thank you. Me too. Can I pray for us? God, I just thank you that you've given us an opportunity to do just this. God, I got to confess that I, 
I've gotten too comfortable in, in, in building a life where I'm fully surrounded by just people who know you and I've lost sight of those in, our, in my world who, who are far from you. And I'm sorry that I've lost sight of that. Maybe it's because of apathy or maybe it's because of fear of rejection, but God, I just pray you'd open my eyes to see the people in my world who need you the most. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters in this room today. God, I pray that you, you wake them up in the middle of the night with the face of a friend or a coworker or a family member who just needs some hope from you. God, I pray that as we walk into the workplace or into Saddleback College or our high school or wherever it is that we go, God, that we would be haunted with the notion that if we don't, if we're not the light, then these people might be headed towards an eternity in darkness. God, thank you for being patient towards me. Help me to bring hope towards others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, everybody, look at me for just a, one more moment. I, I want to talk to those of you who are in this room, and, and maybe your name isn't written in the book of life. I'm not talking about joining our church or eradicating your past, but you're here, and you haven't begun the journey with a moment of surrender to Jesus, and I think it's the reason you're here. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And my challenge to you is that right where you're seated, with no embarrassment, we're not going to ask you to get up. But just right where you're seated, make the prayer I pray your own. And look at me. Some of you, your name may be in that book. But the way that you're living your life wouldn't reflect it. Why don't you make this prayer your own and say, okay, I'm starting over brand new with you today, Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer or it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time, whether you're listening online or sitting in the family room, wherever you're at, just make this prayer your own. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real, that you love me, that you created me, you chose me, but I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? Make these words your own, just right where you're seated. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.